Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of Generation Jihad. I'm Tom Jocelyn. I'm here again this week with my comrade in arms, Bill Rogio. Bill, say hi to the audience. Hi, everyone. We really do appreciate uh, the audience. We've gotten a great uh, great number of listeners who have been tuning in the podcast, according to the metrics we're looking at, and uh, we're, we're reaching the right people, uh, not just a good number of people, but the right people are listening in based on the feedback we're getting. Uh, you know, we're very appreciative of you guys tuning in to download this podcast and listen to it. Of course, uh, it means you like the content to a certain degree, which we're happy about. But it's also free, so you know, hey, right, Bill? I mean, this is a freebie. You know, you want to listen to us sarcastically walk you through what was formerly known as the global war on terror. It's it's a freebie for you. You know, if you appreciate our sarcasm and, and cynical sort of attitudes, I guess. Um, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, or a lot about, um, a claim that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made. He's the he's the main architect or the main proponent of the Trump administration's withdrawal deal with the Taliban. And in the context of trying to justify that withdrawal deal with the Taliban, Pompeo said uh, just a couple days after 9-11 that there are fewer than 200 al-Qaeda members in Afghanistan. And Bill and I, of course, saw this right away, and we go, oh boy, here we go again with this uh, count. <laughs> We've been we've been doing this for years. Believe me, you know, Bill and I would like to talk about other other issues, you know, but this is in the news. And if you're in the Afghan government or part of the withdrawal team for the U.S. or whatever, you should know that this estimate is bogus. It's almost certainly bogus, I would say, um, because we've been dealing with similar estimates for years. And Bill and I just quickly jotted down some notes about why nobody should pay attention to this number, whatever the U.S. does, because it just doesn't make any sense. And the first point, Bill, I'm going to lead off with this. Um, as you know, better than anyone, for years, the U.S. had the sticky estimate. It was a sticky figure of 50 to 100 al-Qaeda members in, Al- in Afghanistan. Um, this estimate stuck from 2010 to 2000, early 2016. It didn't really matter what happened in Afghanistan. You just had U.S. officials saying 50 to 100, 50 to 100. So, you know, 20 guys killed in Kunar, 50 to 100. You know, 10 guys captured in Nuristan, 50 to 100. Didn't matter what happened, never reflected any change. The changing operations or operational data never moved this estimate, not not for several years anyway. Um, first thing I'll know before turning over to you, Bill, is that I think it's kind of funny that for, after not funny, I mean morbidly funny, I guess, or, or, or dark humor here, that uh, after years of claiming only 50 to 100, now Pompeo's trumpeting less than 200, or fewer than 200, sorry, fewer than 200. Which is what's funny about that is, well, that's actually more than the fifty to one hundred figure you were feeding us for years, right? So it's, you're trying to say, you're trying to say we're at this this sort of minimal presence for Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, but now the the bogus assessment you're giving us now is actually greater than the bogus assessment that the U.S. government gave us for several years. So right. yeah, this, the, the, actually the actually the trend line, if you were to go by these bogus numbers, is actually trending up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it is, right? I, you know, because and, and look, the, it has to be understood that the reason that the 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 pr- Two administrations now have downplayed Al Qaeda's presence in Afghanistan. Is really just to justify the withdrawal. The Obama administration wanted to do this, and the reality was is fifty to one hundred wasn't enough to justify withdrawal. Um, there are other issues too, not being able to get the Taliban to agree to four key terms to to cut a deal with them. But you know, look, we're if if fifty to one hundred wasn't good enough in two thousand and ten, um, I don't see how two hundred is uh, is good enough this days. Again, we know these numbers are wrong, so but n- none of this really matters, Tom. These are just numbers they're throwing out there and, and expecting people to to just eat up in order to justify their policies. Yeah, I mean that that's what this is all about. I mean, it's all about trying to justify this withdrawal deal. I, I you know, I I don't know why 
anybody would go down this route. I mean, if you want to make the case against the enduring U.S. presence in Afghanistan, you want to get out. Again, as we've said, repeating ourselves over and over again, just get out. But let's let's talk a bit about for those who are actually interested in the epistemology here. So you know, sort of knowledge and how we know what we know. Let's talk about why you and I scoff at this figure when we see it. Um, and again, we had several several reasons for that when we looked at this number. Let's talk about the previous estimate to fifty to one hundred, Bill. Let's talk about how you got started. You kept hearing officials say that fifty to one hundred at all times in Afghanistan. You said, wait a minute, you know, I'm tracking these airstrikes, I'm tracking these special operations raids. This doesn't make any sense, right? There's no way it's 50 to 100 no matter what. This is a static or a sticky estimate. You know, in economics, there's, a, there's an, uh, something called sticky prices, which don't reflect changes in supply and demand. And I've always looked at this 50 to 100 estimate that they had for several years as the same type of thing, right? I mean, it basically didn't matter what the supply and demand of Al-Qaeda fighters was in Afghanistan. It was always the same thing. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you got started in that, what, we, what your methodology was, just using their own reporting, yeah. show that this was wrong and then go from there. Yeah, uh, sure, Tom. And and look, this is, you as you noted, I think in a previous episode, you know, one of the main reasons that we, the Long War Journal exists is to track Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Obviously, we've done work in multiple theaters, um, but this was one of the core reasons to to look at the, the initial um, theater in the global war on terror and see how Al-Qaeda was being targeted to see what the status of the Taliban was. So, the, that 50 to 100 estimate was first given by Leon Panetta, who, Tom, was he Secretary of Defense or CIA at that time? He was CIA Director. CIA Director. That was, yeah. I believe it was June, July. July 2010, I think, yeah. Yep, yep, right. Yeah, exactly. So he made that estimate. But even before he did that, right, even before he came out with that, you could see that there was this effort to, to downplay in Al-Qaeda. In May 2009, General David Petraeus um, told us that Al-Qaeda was actually no longer operating in Afghanistan. Wow, uh, I forgot that one. Holy yeah. I, you know, Tom, I, I, was do, I was doing my research on this. I guess and, so. I, miss, I forgot that one. Oof. Yeah, right. So and then uh, by October 2009, General James Jones, uh, he claimed that there were fewer than 100 Al-Qaeda operatives in Afghanistan. By December 2009, you saw a report come out, U.S., Intelligence and Department of Defense officials were telling ABC News that Al-Qaeda has only an estimated 100 operatives in Afghanistan. Um, this was used to by President Obama to sort of downplay Al-Qaeda's presence. However, he never mentioned that number. So the first actual 50 to 100 number that we got to was when uh, uh, Leon Panetta made that statement. Um, so in May... In, Look, and again, as you stated, this was something I tracked closely. It was very, you know, look at, we're looking at Al-Qaeda leaders, Al-Qaeda operatives, Taliban-linked Al-Qaeda um, fighters or Taliban leaders who were linked to Al-Qaeda, provided facilitation to, uh, to Al-Qaeda. Um, and then also the, the uh, network of Al-Qaeda allied groups like uh, uh, Jaish Mohammed, Lash, Lashkari Taiba, um, uh, Turkestan Islamic Party, Islamic Movement Uzbekistan, they're all in the Al-Qaeda sphere. Um, so we're looking at, you know, uh, news reports, press releases, and even jihadist own statements, right? Martyrdom statements. So we were looking at this prior to um, Panetta's statement. And then in, in May 2010, uh, a blogger known as Michael Yan, he claimed that there was no Al-Qaeda guys, that's his own words, that were being killed and captured. That was based on, he was embedded with American forces, and that was based on conversations. Um, you know, so all of that, I took all this together and said, wait a second here. 
you know, particularly after Panetta gave us a very specific evidence, um, specific estimate, he was director of CIA. So this was the point where I had to, where I had to stop and say, wait, this is wrong. And let me show you how this is wrong. Um, so, you know, what I did started doing is I went back and looked at I said the International Security Assistance Force. That's NATO's presence with their previously known at. Yeah. Yep. Which are the predecessor, which is now Resolute Support. So that was the NATO mission in Afghanistan. So they were issuing press releases on this. I went all the way back uh, as early as uh, 2007. They were noting in their press releases that uh, they would target Al Qaeda and Al Qaeda allied Taliban members and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And you have to understand that these press releases were merely a subset of the operations against al-Qaeda. This is what the military could actually tell tell us about what was happening. You had a series of raids being conducted by um, U.S. forces Afghanistan, as well as special operations forces, and a lot of this stuff is just never even reported. And we know this because from time to time, we'll get totals from, I'll give you an example of this in the future. Um, save it, save it, save it, because that's a good, yeah. uh, that's a good, that's a good uh, end point for this point, point right? Yeah, but keep, yeah. yeah, but the point is that they don't, they stopped even this reporting you were basing this on. They stopped doing this some time ago. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Doesn't speak well for the boat. Doesn't speak well of the war effort, by the way. The fact right. that it, this, it doesn't. Right. No, so look, we're looking at the tip of the iceberg. If if I had actually included in Al Qaeda's martyrdom statements, um, press reports, Afghan military and national directorate of security reports, and other information. Um, you have people like just popping up on Twitter that were jihadists that were noting people were killed. A lot of these weren't even named in ISAP. Now, again, there's some verification issues, but a lot of times you could cross-reference these and see that they're correct. So if, if I had included that, you'd even see a, a bigger chunk of the iceberg, maybe a half of the iceberg at that point. Um, so the data was interesting. By, by 2010, I noted that the U.S. military, via its press releases again, it identified that al-Qaeda was operating in 62 districts of 19 of Afghanistan's 34 provinces. So that's what I gathered in about three-plus years of uh, of the press release. And that's right? totally inconsistent with the idea that only 50 to 100 guys yeah. are Does, across that, that large expanse of Afghanistan. 50 to 100 guys. I mean, you're talking then, if that were the case, it'd be like one or two in each province or something ex- like that, right? Yeah. You, know, so. you got it, Tom. About 1.8 per, per district, uh, yeah. right? So... That's a, you know. I used to be I used to be good at maths, so, you know. So. <laughs> I actually came up with that on the top of my head. It's probably close. Yeah. Um, so, you know, look, an, another huge tell that this uh, this 50 to 100 estimate was flat out wrong um, emerged in 2011. Um, September 2011. The, the military issued a press release announcing the death of, of an al-Qaeda, what they called, a, quote, associate, unquote. He was known as Sabar Lal Melma. Tom actually had a great write-up of this guy. He was a former Guantanamo detainee. So buried at the end of this press release. Yeah, I remember this, yeah. Right? The military disclosed that over 40 al-Qaeda were killed in eastern Afghanistan from the beginning of 2011 up until July. So we have a half a year data in only one one region of Afghanistan. Now go back to what I said but previously. But Bill, but Bill, if it's forty, then they, did they did the military decrease then from ten to sixty? Tom, you're taking my punchline. Sorry, away. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, it's all good, man. Yeah. We, that's because Tom and I share a brain on this, and these, mm-hmm. this is this is what we know. So get, get, go back to what we were talking about. What I mentioned uh, just previously, Al Qaeda was operating in sixty-two districts in nineteen of Afghanistan's thirty-four provinces. So let's just call Eastern Afghanistan. Uh, they call it that. Let's so maybe Paktia, Paktika, Coast, Nuristan, 
Nangahar, uh, Kunar, that's probably where they're talking about the, the bulk of these operations. So I just mentioned seven, right? And then we have probably 10, 11 more districts um, that are out there. I'm, I'm sorry, t- t- 10 or 11 more provinces, right? And only 40 and a half a year. Uh, you guys can do the math on that. So look, it, it's just, a. It, it, I see stuff like this and I just, and I say, this is clearly wrong what they're telling us. Um, and yet, that 50 to 100 claim continued to be re- repeated up from 2010 up until October 2015, which yeah, Tom I, mentioned. Yeah, we even saw it go into early 2016, depending on who used it sometimes. But yeah, it was. Yeah. It was yeah. We'll get to the 2015. Yeah, we'll get thing. to the yeah. Shorebuck raids. Yeah. yeah, right. Which which completely blew, uh, blew this out of the water. Well, it should have. Um, it should have. You know, yeah. but you know. <laughs> well, it caused it caused them to adjust their estimates. Right? Why, why we, go back? We, why go back? Why go back to the basics on, on an assessment that was clearly wrong for years? When you get stunning evidence, you were wrong. You know why? Why revise everything? You know exactly, exactly. You know? Um, so look, part of in two, by uh, June two thousand and thirteen, ISAF stopped issuing issuing these press releases. Um, its excuse was that it was transferring control over to the Afghan government and that it was no longer conducting military operations. But look, the reality is I was told by several individuals. Wait, wh- when was that that they were no longer conducting military operations? Give me that in date June again. In June 2013. This right. is right. Where, where, wait, we're recording this when now, right? This is, uh, well, God, middle of September. September 2020. And, uh, you know, <laughs> withdrawal deal with the Taliban aside, guess what, folks? Uh, military operations have continued for seven years after that, you know? So. Exactly. And so they claim that their claim was because they're transferring military operations to the Afghan government. The real region was because this this data was just so damning on the case of um, Al Qaeda's presence in Afghanistan that it just had to stop. Um, So in uh, and I'll I'll be rounding this up uh, shortly. Um, in May 2014, uh, with the help of my former colleague, Patrick Megahan, who worked at a Foundation of Defense of Democracies, uh, we, we mapped the seven years of uh, seven plus years of ISAF raids, and, and the data didn't lie. The press release showed from early 2007 to June 2013, when the press releases ended, Al-Qaeda and its allies were, were targeted at least 338 times in 25 of 34 of Afghanistan's provinces. Those raids uh, um, took place in 110 of Afghanistan's uh, over 400, about 410 districts, more than seven, depending on what day of the week it is. So you had it, it, these raids occurred in over a quarter of Afghanistan's districts um, in 25 of 34 provinces. And yet we still were told long after, after June 2013 that al-Qaeda maintained uh, 50 to 100 al-Qaeda fighters that, you know, as you noted, it's a sticky estimate. And if there was, if they wanted to down, if they wanted to do this the right way, Tom, they could have at least revised the number year to year and gone 75 to 150 or, you know, 40 to 80 or done something. But the fact that it stuck was very clear to me that this was not a legitimate estimate. It was a number that was thrown out at one point and then it stuck in everyone's mind and it just kept getting repeated. Yeah, so let's go. Let's go now to October 2015. Over the course of four days, the U.S. and Afghan forces uh, launched this joint raid on these training camps in Shorbak District, southern Afghanistan. One of the camps was described by the U.S. military as probably the largest Al Qaeda training facility in the history of the war in Afghanistan, uh, at approximately 30 square miles. Um, this is the type of thing, you know. Look, 
folks, this should have been the oh shit moment, right? Where everybody said, uh, maybe we don't actually know what we're talking about when it comes to Al-Qaeda's presence in Afghanistan. You know, if there, if there was one last opportunity to get it right, I think this was it. I, I now have a very dark view of this where I don't think the U.S. is ever going to get it right. The U.S. is leaving, presumably leaving by April 2021, which is what Secretary Pompeo says, um, in accordance with the withdrawal deal of the Taliban. I don't think the U.S. is ever going to get this right. I don't think they've known throughout the throughout the war, the U.S. government has not really understood even really what the extent of Al-Qaeda's network looks like in Afghanistan. But this should have been the last opportunity. Um, and the U.S. did revise the 50 to 100 estimate up, but it appeared to us basically by the capacity of these two camps in Shorabak. Um, you know, 150 to 200 guys, Al-Qaeda guys were killed or captured in Shorabak, something along those lines. Yep, that's the um, number. You know, and killed or captured. And... They basically then start talking about, well, okay, there's about 300 then all kind of guys in <laughs> Afghanistan, right? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, which implicitly assumes, you know, Shorebach, they, of course, only discovered after it was operating for nine months because they had, they had executed, as you point out in the past, Bill, a raid elsewhere in eastern Afghanistan. They were executed a raid. That raid led, it gave them intelligence that led to these camps that they didn't even know about. Um, now, the assumption, I guess, after the Shorebach camps is that there are no more Shorebach-style camps anywhere, right? <laughs> Because, you know, why would we learn from our misbegotten assumptions in the past? And so they go forward to this, this 300 number that we start banning about. Now, another, another factor here I would point out, too, is that um, so after saying 50 to 100 for all these years, Bill, you remember this, too. It was actually sometime in it was at the end of 2016. Uh, we had talked to a reporter who was at a press, uh, press briefing with the U.S. military and resolute support. And the supporter asked General John W. Nicholson, who was the commander of resolute support in U.S. forces Afghanistan at the time, you know, hey, you know, you mentioned that you've done some raids against al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda Indian subcontinent in Afghanistan. You know, can you give us some figures on that? And Nicholson and his team came up with the idea, came up with the figures and said, well, actually, throughout 2016, so this is the year now after the Shorebach raids, they had taken 50 al-Qaeda leaders and 200 members of al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda and subcontinent off the battlefield. So that's 250 right there who were supposedly out of the game. So this figure now of 200 to 250, somewhere in, in that ballpark, of course, that's more by itself than the longstanding 50 to 100 estimate that had been stuck for several years. So now you have 50 to 100 for several years. You have the Shorebach raids, which you know, 150 to 200 guys are taken out just in, in those raids. Now, throughout 2016, the U.S. military says, oh, yeah, we took out another 200 to 250. I mean, depending on how you look at this, and there's some fuzzy stuff going on here, So, I'm like, but you're basically at upwards of four times the, the high end of the 50 to 100 range is taken out between October 2015 and December 2016. And again, apparently there's no oh shit moment here, right? Yeah. Apparently right. nobody says, you know, well, wait a minute. Maybe we don't really know what the heck we're talking about, you know, when it comes to counting al-Qaeda. Now, let's talk about this, Bill. So... What, you know, when we see Pompeo now say fewer than 200, again, that's more than the 50 to 100 estimate, but this is why we basically say nobody should really believe him, right? I mean, this is this is just a, a number that's being put out there to justify the withdrawal deal. We say, d- don't justify it in those terms, you know? If you want to you want out of Afghanistan, then get out, but don't, don't come up with this nonsense, right? We've been here before. We've seen this story before. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly, Tom. I mean, I, I don't think there's with the decline, particularly the decline of U.S. operations um, against the Taliban and against probably Al Qaeda, given the, the drawdown. Right. I would argue that it's it's highly likely that there's more Al Qaeda in Afghanistan today than there may have been in 2010. But 
you know, look, and I, there's one there's one particularly very and, funny And to be thing. clear on that, Bill, we don't actually know, right? We don't know. We're, we're saying right. there are epistemological problems here we're trying yeah. to walk you through. We can't, we're not going to dis- describe with certainty. We're not going to say the number is really 1,000 or 2,000. We don't sure. really know. All we could do is give you reasons that this number is specious, right? That this, these exactly. figures don't make any sense, really, when you look at the history of the whole thing. You know, I tend I tend to try to use logic on this stuff, Tom. And no, no, no. We're not supposed to do that. Not supposed to do no, that. we're not supposed to do that. And there's one real one, uh, a single funny thing about this Pompeo statement, aside from the history of it, of this. Pompeo says there's 200 Taliban. Well, guess what? The Taliban, how many Al Qaeda? Fewer, fewer, fewer. I'm sorry, Taliban. Yeah, 200. Pompeo says 200 Al Qaeda. Fewer. Um, yeah. Taliban says there's zero. Right. So, you know. Um, and, and the Taliban is supposed to be a counterterrorism partner for the U.S. And Pompeo is saying the Taliban should, is promised to turn on al-Qaeda. And we, should rely, says, we should rely on their promises now. Yep, yeah. exactly. And then, Supposedly, But yeah. how could the Taliban turn on zero al-Qaeda fighters? Yeah, there's nobody so, to betray, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's part, that's part of what I've always thought. That's always one of the tensions in this argument, really, is that if al-Qaeda really does have this de minimis presence, this minimal presence in Afghanistan, then why wouldn't the Taliban sell them out for rewards from the U.S., right? I mean, if, if it didn't really matter that much, right? If it's only a few if it's only a few guys, if it's only 50 to 100, then first of all, why is the U.S. there this whole time, right? And why is the Taliban so reticent to say anything publicly or admit anything publicly about al-Qaeda in Afghanistan? It just doesn't really make much sense. Now, you, people would say, well, Pashtun Wali and the culture, and they don't want to be, okay. But, but the point is you're dealing with a minimal presence here according to these assessments. If al-Qaeda really is that minimal, and we don't think it is, of course. But if it really is that minimal, then we should have seen more sort of willingness on the Taliban's part to to at least admit that they were there in some some fashion and actually maybe hint at a real betrayal, which we haven't seen. All right, so so the first point of you know we got several arguments here for why we don't buy this fewer than two hundred number. The first one was we've been here before. We talked about the sticky estimate fifty to one hundred. Here's the second issue. The second issue is that if you're doing this type of assessment, you have to always reflect. It has to reflect an accurate understanding of what al-Qaeda's policy is and how it's behaving and what it's doing. And its stated policy is to fight under the banner of the Islamic Emirate, the Taliban. The al-Qaeda does not often advertise nowadays and hasn't for some time, doesn't really often advertise its operations in Afghanistan. It's deliberately trying to obscure what it's doing. And so unless you you are trying to do some sleuthing or some investigative work to sort of figure out exactly how this clandestine apparatus is working in Afghanistan or how, what what exactly are they what exactly are they hiding like what's the extent of it unless you come from that assumption and you start from that that perspective hey look I have to actually work to uncover what they're doing then you're going to miss a lot of stuff right you're going to miss a lot of details and we don't see any evidence you know there's only minimal evidence that at times the U.S. and its allies have been willing to do that sleuthing at times, not overall. Like they haven't factored that into the overall sort of assessment of what Al Qaeda is doing. Would you agree with that, Bill? Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And you made a good point. You know that Al Qaeda over time has stopped advertising its uh, operations, and and that is completely true. Like we've seen a, a massive decrease in martyrdom statements. Occasionally, someone will slip and put something out there, but a lot of times, a lot of this information is published in Urdu or or Pashto. Which and some of this information just isn't being translated by the U.S. government or by the Western press. So we're you know it, it, because if it isn't in English or Arabic, it, who cares, right? That that means it's not Al Qaeda. It's part of that idea that Al Qaeda has to only be Arab or North African. Well, that's the that's the third issue on our list. The right. Third. So, yeah. so the first, for instance, we talked about the problems of the sticky estimate in the past, and that that reveals that there's a 
some major epistemological flaws here. The second one is that Al Qaeda operates, tries to operate, you know, under the banner of the Islamic Emirates, so it's not advertising, it's operating clandestinely in Afghanistan. The third problem is that you and I have heard people through times talk about Al-Qaeda as if it's only an Arab organization, right? So all you gotta do is count up the Arabs who are jihadis and that are no, they're not ISIS, and those are your Al-Qaeda guys. And that's not true, right? I mean, Al-Qaeda has, you know, you look back to the profiles of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or so many different operatives who have worked for Al-Qaeda through the years, you can go through a whole long list. You know, quite oftentimes they either have a mixed pedigree or aren't Arab at all. Um, so the idea that Al Qaeda is purely an Arab organization doesn't make any sense. We've been doing some work on, and we've hired somebody to help us, paid somebody to help us translate some of their Urdu publications, for example. You know, the the, the chief monthly magazine that Al Qaeda puts out for the region right now is in Urdu, uh, not Arabic. Uh, that speaks to what their readership is and what they're they're looking at, right, Bill? So I mean, you you've been tracking this for so long. I mean, this Arab. You've heard this too, right? That this, this, basically yep. you're just looking at the Arab the Arabs there, and that doesn't make any sense. And Tom, you and I could do an entire show just naming non-Arab members of Al Qaeda. I mean, I'll name one: Elias Kashmiri, a very dangerous. Uh, he was a, a colonel, I believe, in the Pakistani military. He actually rose to the rank of Al Qaeda's military chief. Um, U.S. killed him in a drone strike in, in um, I believe, it was 2010, 2009, 10, 11 in that time frame. Uh, you know, yeah, we, we and, know he was he was communicating directly with Osama bin Laden. So exactly, we know that from exactly. the files. You know, yeah, yeah I mean, and a, a Pakistani. I mean, and that's just one. And we could go, again, we could go down that list and and explain a Pakistanis and Afghans and and uh, Bangladeshis and other and other individuals who were, again were not Arab, um, who were senior members of Al Qaeda. And you know, look and. You know, it, it also gets to this point of what, what used to be called Al Qaeda and allied movements, right? So you had, and oh, you're we're going to get into here. this get, later. Get, 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 two, you got two two yeah. points. Let's get to that in two points. So let's get we'll to get the, that the next. Yeah. Ne- next one on the list is is AQIS, so Al Qaeda Indian Subcontinent. Um, Zawahiri announced its formation in September 2014. Of course, as you wrote up, you wrote up a brilliant analysis, Bill, of the various groups that AQIS sort of folded parts or all of them into its sort of coalition to form this new branch of Al Qaeda, this new official branch of Al Qaeda. It showed how they were leveraging these relationships with other groups. We're going to talk about those other groups in the very next point. But this is the fourth point on our sort of list of reasons not to buy this fewer than 200 number. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, AQIS. As far as we can tell, it's mostly non-Arab. It's mostly Pakistani and has other sort of regional ethnicities are folded into it. Um, the UN has said in recent years that AQIS, this monitoring team that works for the United Nations, um, says the AQIS has several hundred members or is thought to have several hundred members, which is, of course, more than the figure that Pompeo gave out just by itself. So Al-Qaeda Indian Subcontinent just by itself has several hundred members. Now, one of the things we know about this is uh, we've heard some disconnected dots stuff on AQIS before. There's some people who, who have referred to it as the small A Al-Qaeda or the local Al-Qaeda so as if it's not sort of the real Al-Qaeda, which is just rubbish. I mean, it was stood up by Zawahiri and his, his son-in-law to basically, um, you know, basically be a reorganization of Al-Qaeda's assets in the region. Um, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that at all. I mean, AQIS, no. you know, yeah. we know we know AQIS is still fighting throughout Afghanistan right now we have no we at least we have a lot of reports along those lines it's always again it's murky here in some ways um but I mean there's there's no reason to to treat this as anything other than al-Qaeda yeah and Tom this isn't anything new right I mean how many times have we heard 
Ansar al-Sharia in Yemen or in Libya were not part of, or Tunisia, not part of al-Qaeda, or these other al-Qaeda or Shabab branches. wasn't, or, you know, wasn't really al-Qaeda. Yeah, yeah, rejected Shabab's allegiance, which wasn't true, you know? Exactly. I mean, so the same you nonsense know, over again. It's a disconnected right. dots paradigm, yeah. You know, and, and, and this is what frustrates Tom and I so much, right? We see these constant bad... Ideas pop up, 50 to 100 Al-Qaeda. This group or that group is an Al-Qaeda. It's, a, it's a, an overt attempt to disconnect the dots, downplay Al-Qaeda's presence in, in multiple theaters, to basically, in my opinion, to disengage from this war. You want to disengage from, from this war in Afghanistan and elsewhere? Go, you know, and that's what you want to do? You want to end the endless wars? End them. But let's be honest. Well, end Ameri- end America's that. role, anyway. Yeah, you ain't, exactly. ain't going to end them. You know, you ain't going to yeah. end them. It's endless jihad. But exactly. let's go. So let's go on. So AQAS. So now the, the, this goes to the next point about Al Qaeda and associated movements, as you were saying, the original AQAM paradigm, uh, AQAM as opposed to AQIM. So the AQ and associated movements. This was a concept that bubbled up for a time, right? Yeah. And I, I, actually, when you said that, Bill, I just realized. Wait a minute. This is one of these many ideas that just went. Just discarded without explanation at some point, you know, in yeah. our in the whole history of all this. But it's still germane. I mean, there's 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 still these groups like the Turkestan Islamic Party, which, by the way, is estimated to have you know in the low hundreds in Afghanistan in terms of number of members. Um, you know, that's openly loyal to Al Qaeda and the Taliban, so there's no reason to play disconnect the dots there. There are other ethnic sort of groups like the TIP of Ansarullah. There's other sort of Uzbek groups. You know, these other ethnic sort of brigades or battalions, however they want to call them. We know they're not really battalions, but that's how they call them, uh, or brigades. Um, you know, basically these groups are still existing in Afghanistan. They're still fighting. They they alone are going to surpass the fewer than 200 number. I mean, based on everything we're seeing in terms of operational uh, details and reporting through the years, or at, least there's, at least there are good reasons to suspect they are greater than 200 by themselves. Right, Bill? Yeah, exactly. And look, the, the, the antiquated AQAM, you know, I always found it interesting. I'm like... AQ part of AQAM, right? Al Qaeda and Allied movements became Al Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent because what Al Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent did was poach, and not in a bad way, but it, it took members from all of these Allied groups and rolled them in. But these Allied groups also maintained their, um, you know, they they didn't just dissolve and roll into Al Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. Lashkari Taiba continued. Tur- Turkestan Islamic Party continued. Movement of Taliban in Pakistan continued. So, you know, Al Qaeda did its poaching. It poached leaders. Um, we talked about one, Elias Kashmiri, who was the Harkat uh, for the Huji leader. Um, so, yeah, it's just this interesting. This is the evolution of Al Qaeda's jihad in Af- Afghanistan, Pakistan. And it's widely misunderstood by just about everyone you, you see that'll talk publicly on Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. We know individuals within the intelligence, military and intelligence community that get this and thank you guys. We appreciate your understanding. It's it's just that this these well, they're, ideas they're few and far up. between and they are. certainly their views are not reflected in the leadership level. So um you know, but but just just take the Pakistani Taliban, which you mentioned, Bill. So if you go to UN reporting or other reports, there are perhaps hundreds or even a few thousand Pakistani Taliban members in Afghanistan. Well, the official position of the U.S. government is that the Pakistani Taliban has a symbiotic relationship with Al Qaeda, which it does, and there's plenty of evidence along those lines, including the Pakistani Taliban's own statements and propaganda and personnel and that kind of thing. So the Pakistani Taliban itself, which is at a minimum allied with Al Qaeda, right, dwarfs. The 200, the fewer than 200 number, or at least there's evidence anyway, there's reporting anyway, that it dwarfs the fewer than 200 number that, that Pompeo put out there just by itself, right? 
Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, and look, I believe that number the UN gave, they said that uh, up to 6,000 or 6,500 Those were the Pakistanis. And then Pakistanis. They, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't specific to the Pakistani Taliban. Right. Other, other estimates say that there are in the low thousands. Yes, know, exactly. Uh, so Pakistani we're, Taliban number, yeah. We're talking about, you know, those Pakistanis are either, now it's possible they could be just rolled into the, uh, the Afghan Taliban. They could be fighting as part of the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan. And then that group, um, the UN, I believe they listed some Lashkari Taiba and Jaish Muhammad. They gave like a couple hundred for each, if I recall. Um, so yeah, and, and we, we know from bin Laden's files and other material that this is what Al-Qaeda has, um, they've rolled in elements of it. This is part of that deep bench that we talk of, Al-Qaeda's deep bench. They go to the bench of these groups, the Al-Qaeda allied movements, in order to fill its ranks and fill its leadership positions. So, yeah, so let's, let's, that leads into the next point, so the sixth point, which is not mutually exclusive because some of these points right. overlap, but I think it's worth putting them as sort of framing them because they, are, they can be sort of um, related but also have some sort of uh, distinct... Uh, sort of issues as well um and this is one of them which is that the sixth point is that al-qaeda often has dual-hatted figures right so these are guys who belong to one or more groups they're al-qaeda but they're also huji they're hume harakato mujahideen they're whatever you know they're pakistani taliban they, they overlap these groups and we've heard reports for example that guys who are, al- are al-qaeda or suspect to be al-qaeda were captured in afghanistan when they're asked you know who do you work for they're like well the islamic emirate of afghanistan meaning the Taliban's Islamic Emirate, right? We hear that, and that's sort of a little way they can wiggle around, you know, this whole this whole issue. But you've you've covered the dual hatted guys for years, Bill, right? In Afghanistan, this is in your data set, and you're accumulating all this data and uh, watching all this. We've seen this over and over and over again. There've been dual hatted guys, and so that raises an epistemological problem with, well, what do you mean by Al Qaeda, right? What is Al Qaeda, you know, in terms of how it operates? Is it just are you looking at how are you figuring out? Are they just guys who are solely members of Al Qaeda, or are they members of other groups that are sort of, you know, have one foot in one group and one foot in another? This all speaks to how Al Qaeda operates and what they're doing. Yeah, no, Tom, it gets back to the, the third, the, what's the definition of all this, right? And yes, I mean, look, you've seen this in U.S. designations. The, mili- the military, and the, when they were doing their press releases from 2007 to 2013, would occasionally name um, some of these guys. So I'm going to explain two of them, because I think there's two guys here, Kari Zia Rahman and Aminullah Peshwari, who are, are perfectly embody this idea of the dual-headed uh, Al-Qaeda slash Taliban commander. So Kari Zia Rahman was a, um, he was specifically identified by the military as a dual-hatted Al-Qaeda slash Taliban commander. Um, The U.S. military actively hunted him for years. I don't know where this guy is gone. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know if he's alive. But I'm talking, he was being hunted in 2010, 11, 12. Um, this it doesn't, is, it doesn't really got, matter, Bill, anyway, because it's all – we check that box with the, the exactly. withdrawal the Taliban. It's all – whatever issue that you've identified here has clearly been taken care of by Pompeo and Zalmay Khalilazad. So I don't, yes, I it's, about it's not. And that, inter- that interagency review team in Qatar, I'm sure, is really on top, on top of this. So go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm waiting for – Al-Qaeda – or the Taliban should be arresting him anytime. So he, he was a member of the, of the Taliban as he ran training camps – Inside or at least one training camp inside of Pakistan, which um, produced female suicide bombers. One of them, I believe, actually killed American soldiers. Um, I believe he was also a member of the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan, and he was identified by the military as being an Al Qaeda leader. So, you know, who? What was he? 
was he the Taliban? Was he moving to the Taliban in Pakistan? Or was he Al-Qaeda? The answer is he was all three. He moved in all three worlds. He maintained allegiance to all of these groups because he was a key figure that can aid all of these groups in their operations. Um, another one, Aminullah Peshwari. Um, he's actually, uh, at least uh, as of a couple of years ago, he was identified as the head of the Taliban's uh uh, the Peshwar Shura. That's so. The Taliban operates four uh, regional military commands that fall under the Keta Shura, which is the obviously the overall uh, decision-making body for the for the Afghan Taliban. So he was in head of the Peshwar Shura. He's designated by the U.S. government, and in his, his designation notes that he's an Al Qaeda operative. He runs a madrasa in in the in the Pakistani city of Peshawar. It's called the Ganj Madrasa. Um, where they train suicide bombers and members to to join the various groups. So what is Aminullah Peshwari? Is he Taliban? Is he Al Qaeda? Or could he be both? Could it be both? So there's other individuals like this that pop up through here, and this they give us an, an excellent flavor of how Al Qaeda and all and and what um, the syndicate of jihadists how they operate within the Afghan Pakistan region. So that, that brings us to the last, the seventh issue here, because you mentioned the camps in Pakistan, the facilitation networks in Pakistan, Bill. I mean, this is part of the problem with counting al-Qaeda in Afghanistan as well, is that these guys could be, some of these guys could be in Pakistan yesterday, and they're in Afghanistan today, and they're not tomorrow, right? I mean, there's a fluid border there that, you know, these guys don't really recognize as being sort of restrictive in any way, Um so, you know, it, it, it basically when you're saying there's only a certain number of guys in Afghanistan, well, we've, we've documented this so many times through the years. That these guys move across the border and, and from one place to another. And it just doesn't make sense to try and pretend like you can you can draw, you know, this, this border around Afghanistan that Al Qaeda stays there. Like there's some sort of static number that's going to stay within those that those those boundaries. Right, Bill? Yeah, exactly. And look, there's a, a reason why. The jihadists, why the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan, why Al Qaeda and the Islamic movement is of Uzbekistan and Turkestan Islamic Party fought so hard to take control of North and South Waziristan and the other tribal agencies, because they these these border areas weren't just lawless regions that were out of reach from the Pakistani government, but these were key areas to launch operations into Afghanistan and then come across the border and um, dodge. U.S. military operations and rest and refit and heal and plan further operations and go back in. And and that's why this drone campaign focused um, particularly in North and South Waziristan because they were major bases, bases to launch operations um, against American and Afghan forces inside of Afghanistan. Yeah, and that's not an issue that's been solved. I mean, yes, they've, nope. the Jihadis have taken their lumps, but we're, we're seeing, we've been talking about this for a while, uh, you, know, you and I have on via phone, that you can see the rumblings that there's this uptick coming in northern Pakistan now, northwestern Pakistan, especially with the withdrawal deal between the Taliban and the U.S. You can see that they're sort of priming the pump for their operations going forward here, and we expect there's going to be more along those lines in the near future. Um, so even though, even though, yeah, that the Pakistani Taliban and other allied groups have taken their lumps and sort of were beaten down, and the threat was suppressed to a large degree, but not entirely. There certainly looks like there's residual capacity there for an uptick once again. Would you agree with that, yeah. Bill? Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And 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 also, I want to be clear. This is something that's always bothered me in, in the analysis of 
Al-Qaeda. And it's always assumed that Al-Qaeda just operated in northwestern Pakistan. And that is not true. No. Um, Baluchistan province has been, a, in Pakistan, has been a major base of operations for the Taliban and thus for Al-Qaeda as well. So this was also, has all, and continues to be leveraged by Al-Qaeda. So Al-Qaeda is, the Afghan intelligence said, with I believe a couple months ago, that Al-Qaeda was operating training camps uh, right on the border in Helmand province on the border with Balochistan. Well, how does, you know, that's happening because of that cross-border activity. Al-Qaeda isn't just coming from North and South Waziristan or, or any of the other di- um, tribal agencies that are in northwestern Pakistan. They're going through Balochistan province as well. So it's, you know, I, again, I just always stuck in my craw that, like, that's what really bothered me, by the way, with the drone campaign against Al-Qaeda. 95% of those strikes, that's something, you know, we tracked at the Long War Journal, 95% of those strikes took place in North and South Waziristan. What did Al-Qaeda do? It, it moved operatives actually into Afghanistan and also in other areas in Pakistan. There's, we've seen press reports, Tom, and I believe one of them was in the Washington Post, right? That there's several yeah, thousand. Karachi. Yeah, Karachi, right? Several thousand Al-Qaeda estimated to be in Karachi. Now, this could be some of the guys who are. Yeah, it's, hundred, it's, hundred, it's hundreds to thousands. It's not really yeah, clear. I mean, right. yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, I mean, look, after bin Laden was killed in Abbottabad, you would think that we'd basically reassess, you know, maybe Al-Qaeda isn't just restricted to Waziristan, right? You know, maybe there's more going exactly. on here, you know? And again, this is one of the problems with this, these assessments is, you know, I, I don't think anybody's done, I mean, maybe there's some classified assessment somewhere, but certainly nothing's reflected in public rhetoric. Nobody's done a, a back-to-basic sort of assessment of what Al-Qaeda looks like, either in Afghanistan or Afghanistan and Pakistan, let alone globally, in some time. Nobody's actually saying, here's what this thing actually is. You have all these sort of proclamations um, that it's, you know, the group is on death's door and it's about to meet its demise and Zawahiri is an old bumbling fool who, you know, he, you know, he stinks as a leader and all this other stuff. Okay, I mean, but you're not really proving that or showing that with evidence. You're just sort of saying that based on, and there's plenty of contradictory evidence. Um, you know, so you have to, if you if you believe in sort of the scientific method and, and sort of scrubbing arguments and trying to get at the truth, you have to sort of put together, you know, a, a real assessment of all the available evidence and say, here's what it comes to. And I don't think that's been done. Uh, no, it know. hasn't. I haven't seen it, Tom. It's something that is sorely needed. But when our political leadership and, and is hell-bent on getting out of, of end so ending this so-called endless war, um, you're not going to get an assessment like that. And when the intelligence community and the military is on board, you know, there's no desire to actually understand what al-Qaeda looks like in Afghanistan or Pakistan or anywhere else. All right. I think we can leave it there. What do you think? Do you have anything else to add, Bill, on this? No, or? I think, Tom, I think that's the perfect spot to end it. All right. So just to give you guys a, a brief recap you know, we talked about, you know, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says there are fewer than 200 al-Qaeda guys in Afghanistan. We told you why we don't believe that. Uh, you shouldn't believe it either. Uh, it's just it's just sort of a nonsense figure that's being thrown out there to justify policy. And regardless of whatever your policy desire is, up to and including just getting all U.S. troops to Afghanistan, you shouldn't put any stock in this assessment whatsoever. And if you're playing defense for the U.S. government and you're trying to neutralize uh, terrorist threats, you shouldn't put any stock in this estimate going forward. We gave you seven basic reasons for that. The first, you know, had to do with the sticky estimate of 50 to 100 that, that the U.S. government used for al-Qaeda's presence from 2010 to early 2016. We argued at the time that was wrong. It was obviously wrong. You know, we could do more to explain why that was wrong, including citing bin Laden's files and other evidence. But it was wrong, and basically none of the, none of the lessons were really learned from why the U.S. was getting that wrong. 
The second point was that um, Al-Qaeda has clandestine networks and is, its stated policy is to fight under the banner of the Islamic Emirate. That means it's deliberately obfuscating or trying to hide the extent of its networks in Afghanistan. The third uh, had to do with the problem with definition. You hear people oftentimes talk about Al-Qaeda as if it's only an Arab organization. That's not true, or at least we heard that in the past a lot. And uh, you know that, that certainly influenced their colored analyses. The fourth reason is the you know Al-Qaeda and the Indian subcontinent, which was stood up in September 2014. There are public assessments saying that Al-Qaeda and the Indian subcontinent alone has several hundred fighters, according to the UN Security Council and others. In Afghanistan, we think there, there are good reasons to think that that's sort of a lower bound on it. But that those estimates surpass the fewer than 200 just by themselves. And that is fully part of Al-Qaeda, contrary to what some people may claim. The fifth point had to do with these other Al-Qaeda groups like the Turkestan Islamic Party and other sort of ethnic units that are fighting on behalf of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. We think that their enrollment is greater than 200 just by themselves based on the publicly available evidence. The sixth reason had to do with these dual-hatted figures. Their bill has documented this for years, and I've documented this too, that there are these dual-hatted guys who are in Al-Qaeda and other groups. Um, that makes it tough and tricky to figure out, you know, what exactly does Al-Qaeda look like and how do you actually count Al-Qaeda membership. And the seventh and final reason was this fluid border with Pakistan, that basically a guy could be in Pakistan today, Af- Afghanistan tomorrow, or vice versa. That makes it tough to say that there's any, uh, that the number is restricted to, you know, what the given set number is. And, and the, some of the epistemological issues we've outlined for assessing Al-Qaeda's strength in Afghanistan apply to Pakistan as well. Um, you know, good luck with that going forward. Um, and, I think we can leave it there. Bill, you have anything else to add on on top of that sort of uh, brief summary I gave? No, that's it, Tom. I think you nailed it. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Generation Jihad, an abbreviated episode, but we just wanted to cut to the chase. Um, Please do subscribe to the show. As a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your shows. And we will see you again next week. 